you know, COVID for us was something that made us sit down, inspect every part of the business, look at what was wasteful, look at what was inefficient, look at what was just bloated and, and do something about it. Mikey Sabora is the founder of the LNS Restaurant Group, which includes the brands Mikey's Late Night Slice, Oddfellows Liquor Bar, The Sacred Palm, and High Horse Vegan Pizza. He began his entrepreneurial career in 2008 with ECT Pedicab, a fleet of human-powered pedicabs that operates in the short north, and started his first restaurant, Late Night Slice, in the summer of 2009. He originally hails from Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, but has called Columbus home for over 20 years where he lives in Victorian Village with his wife, Rachel, and their son, William. Recently, Mikey and Late Night Slice were in the news because their most recent deal, a partnership with Penn Gaming at the Hollywood Casino here in Columbus. All right. We are here today with Mikey Sbarro uh, from Late Night Slice and and other ventures that that you're well known for here in Columbus for sure. And it's uh, great to have you on and get a chance to let our listeners hear a little bit more about you and your full journey. Yeah. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about kind of where you're from and 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 what life was like as as a as a child. Yeah, yeah. So I um I hail from a small town north of Akron called Cuyahoga Falls. And uh that, you know, being from that town, it it it's followed me uh well throughout my career into my 40s here. I just turned 40 this last year. You know, half the people that I work with on a daily basis are guys from Cuyahoga Falls that either people I graduated with or, you know, it, it's kind of weird, the people you collect along the way. So yeah, come from Cuyahoga Falls, lived there for my, you know, first 20 years of life, had a really fantastic experience growing up there. It's a great place to grow up, you know, kind of halfway between Cleveland and Cleveland and Akron. So we kind of had the big city feel, but still just a, a really solid place to grow up. Yeah, I lived there till I was, like I said, about 20 till all my friends started going to college. And I thought that would have been a pretty cool thing to do too is you know stop living in mom and dad's basement <laughs> uh, tell me a little I, I actually i lived in fairlawn uh yeah. you know outside of akron um for the first 10 years of my life so i know a little bit about what it's like to grow up in that part of ohio um but tell me a little bit about what it was like for you you know what were your parents like what was did you have siblings kind of what kinds of stuff were you into at an early age yeah. So come from a family of uh, two brothers, or excuse me, two sisters. I am being the oldest. So I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my sister Katie and my sister Jill. Um, we grew up with our parents, Bill and Kim, who are still together, uh, just about to celebrate their damn near close to 50 or 40, I guess. And we had a great high school experience. You know, Falls High was fantastic. I, uh, you know, was involved in student council. Uh, I was class president one of the years, me and my buddy, uh, James, who's still one of my best friends to this day. We always ran against each other for class president. So he won two years. I won one year. But, uh, you know, we'd always we'd always walk home after we finished one of the elections and, you know, talk about who did what better. And, you know, so that was that added to, I don't know, just an awesome experience. Um, 
let's see, we have a, we had a little lake house up in Conneaut, which is like the northeasternmost corner of Ohio. And uh, still have that to this day. So that's kind of where we spent our summers. It was uh, up at our, our, little, our little cottage in Conneaut, um, which was a great place to, you know, kind of explore and grow up as a kid. Um, went to Akron U for a little while. And uh, then all my friends decided they were going to Ohio State. And I was like, man, I need to go there because that's a lot more fun than going to Akron because, you know, that's just where you grew up, right? So, right. Um, and you know, so, so kinda, well, yeah, just, you know, kind of backing up a little bit, you know, the, whether it be the student council thing or, um, you know, uh, anything else, like, it sounds to me like there's some some drive early on. I mean, was there like a you know, kind of a, a sense that you wanted to accomplish things, be successful, you know, what was kind of underneath like some of that early stuff for you as a kid? You know, I, I can, as I've grown a little bit, you know, you have the, the gift of, of reflection and uh, of hindsight. So I kind of started looking at a few things, you know, way back early and, uh, you know, it's funny to look back at a lemonade stand as like a pivotal point in your childhood. But uh, where my parents' house was, was directly across the street from this giant water tower. We lived across the street from a park and there was this giant water tower there. And during one of the summers, they decided to paint this water tower. And if you've ever, you know, I'm sure most everyone here within earshot has never been witness to the painting of a giant water tower. But that was, we had this really unique you know, set up where the, they were they were painting this thing and it took them weeks to do. So being the kind of industrious young kids, me and my sisters were, we set up a lemonade stand directly across the street from where there was like, you know, 20, 30 dudes uh, painting this water tower for weeks on end. And we cleaned up, <laughs> you know, we just, of course, we were using, you know, mom and dad's sugar and lemons and everything uh, and Kool-Aid, I think at the time. But, you know, I, I look back at that thing and I'm like, all right, you know, that was one of those times where, you know, we saw an opportunity, uh, you know, albeit as, you know, children. And, uh, and, you know, we actually had a pretty decent result from, you know, looking at an opportunity and little things came from that. You know, I, I remember having this one idea where, you know, when you were really small, you could go to like the little festivals or carnivals and you could, you know, play a game and then win a prize. And a lot of these prizes were these inflatables, like an inflatable crayon or an inflatable hammer or an inflatable animal or something like that. And I thought, well, why have to go and wait to, for a carnival to come to town or one of the fairs to come to town? I got one of these Oriental trading magazines that just came in, you know, the, uh, the, the mail at one point. And I was like, why don't we just order all these and then we can sell them like a lemonade stand. So I would go around to people's garage sales and ask if I could just set up a little, I had this little, little picnic table that I'd, drag around in a, in a, in a wagon. And then I'd ask them to set up in front of their, in their driveway and he'd sell these inflatable crayons. And I don't think we really ever sold anything. I mean, they're a couple dollars. I maybe made 10 bucks, but you know, those little things you look back on and you're like, you know, that maybe that did define a little bit of what was to come, you know, later in, later in life. But, uh, well, and how much how much of your kind of childhood was centered around like that stuff, like ideas or you know thinking about how to make money or business, or or was that just a small part? And in, in hindsight, you know, you can kind of see how the, maybe the dots connect. I mean, were you into you know sports and and you know other things? Like, tell me a little bit like about what the whole experience was. 
Yeah. It's, it's funny to look back and kind of connect those dots now that, you know, I'm older and have this, you know, <laughs> reflective side of me that I'm, <laughs> that tends to grow when you, mm-hmm. you know, hit oh, yeah. 40. Oh yeah. Um, but I can't say that was ever like, I'm going to own my own business or I'm going to, you know, I, I never had that drive. I, I don't know if it was just innate or it, it never seemed to be a conscious thing. You know, it was, it was never like, I'm going to go own this and do this and do this. It was just like, yeah. Hey, I got an idea. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think if there's anything that's played, you know, throughout the years is kind of, it's, it's, it's that, that sentiment that, you know, Hey, I have an idea. Let's try it. You know, I was never really into sports. I, I, I played sports in high school. I was on, you know, soccer and I track and a couple other things, but I was never into sports. I'm still not. So maybe that was just, you know, that bandwidth not being taken up by too many yeah. sports. I had, you know, yeah, some opportunity to actually, you know, have an idea and then, uh, you know, actually see it through. But were there yeah. other creative outlets for you? I mean, you know, were there other places that you found yourself of, um, you know, interest discovering creativity? I mean, I, I kind of look at a distance in what you do, and I think you've been very creative in how you do it. And the design of the space and the language, the branding. I mean, there's a, a lot of creativity in there. But did there was there a was there an outlet for you uh, in childhood to be creative, you know, outside of a, a business setting? You know, once again, looking back on it, I don't know if there was a you know a specific thing that I can point to that was like that was my creative outlet. But I look back at a bunch of different things, whether it be you know putting on a dance, you know, that I was in charge of during student council, you know, decorating that whole gymnasium for, you know, whatever the theme was, snowball or something like that. You know, that was something that I really found out that I liked doing is creating a space for people to then come in and enjoy. You know, other things I look back on is, you know, when you're in a situation, what can you do in that situation to make it a better experience for, you know, those around you? And I've always kind of looked at Columbus a little bit like that. You know, I always thought Columbus lacks a certain amount of, at least in the restaurant industry, bar and restaurant, I'll say, a lot of destination. Um, so there's, I would say, a, a handful of destination places, places that I call, like if you're going to pick your buddy up from the airport and it's their first time coming to Columbus, you know, and you want them to have a great experience over the you know, couple of days that they're here, there's a certain, uh, there's certain few places you have to take them. So, you know, I've, I've, been motivated by, you know, what can we do with what we have to make the experience better for the people that are here? So yeah, connecting those dots, I, I think that's, you know, played out, I guess, when you think about it a little bit, obviously, throughout the life. Yeah. Well, well I want to come back to that because I'm very interested also in the kind of experiential aspect of, of what you and I both do. And, and, and so, but before we talk about that and, and get into that any deeper, so I'm curious about your parents. So tell me a little bit more. I mean, you mentioned they'd been married, you know, together still to this day. Um, sounds like there's a lot of uh, kind of support. I mean, maybe you know, a, 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 in some ways, things sound. And, and I'm getting way ahead, but I'm just from what you've said, you know, that, that that there's a lot of, you know, kind of idyllic, you know, aspects to this environment that you're in. Um, tell me about that. Like, what, what were your parents like? What were they into? What did they do? Were they just loving, supportive? You know, anything else there you can share? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was really, um, looking back on it, it's, it was really an ideal upbringing. I, I, 
couldn't have asked for a lot more. You know, there was never a, there was never a lot of wanting, you know, we certainly weren't rich by any means. In fact, we just had this conversation recently among a, a group of us that, you know, we never really learned about money, but we never had to worry about money, you know? So they never came from any kind of, you know, wealth or wealthy parents or grandparents or anything like that. But I never remembered ever having to want for anything. And of course, you know, we had, we grew up across the street from a park. Um, so that park was, um, I, I think super influential and, you know, and just having somewhere to go, you know, me and my sisters and all the kids from the neighborhood, you know, would go to this park Oak park every day during the summer and they, they had it programmed. So there was a, you know, and kind of an attendant there. It was probably a teenager now that I'm looking back at it, but you could go there and play games all day and they take you on field trips. So, you know, between, you know, growing up with, you know, a really stable household with, with very loving parents who, you know, they weren't overbearing. They're were very trusting of my sisters and I, they, I don't know if it was trusting or they're just like, get out of the house, go over there, <laughs> you know, like, hey, go to the park. But, you know, it, it, I think it set us, the three of us up for, you know, a certain amount of confidence to go through life that, you know, if we did have an idea that we wanted to try out, you know, we had that confident backing from them. So yeah, it was, it was, I, I couldn't have asked for really a better place to grow up in a better neighborhood with a better family. It was, you know, I always say that I've segmented my life now into, into two going on three segments in, in 20 year segments. And the first 20 years of my life, zero to 20 were really fantastic. Just great upbringing, great city, home life, high school experience was, was really fantastic. 20 to 40, you know, where you know, I worked in a nightclub scene for, you know, the, the better part of my 20s, which was awesome. You know, took me all over the country. Started the business late 20s, you know, into 40, you know, just growing, you know, the business from there. And, and I just had my son uh, about a year and a half ago. And that's going to be my next 20. You know, that third 20-year segment is, mm-hmm. is uh, you know, being a dad and being a parent and yeah. uh, raising a family. So that's kind of how I've been reflecting on, you know, the segments of life and these, these 20 year segments. And um, well, it's, it's great to highlight the first 20, you know, that's kind of um, a big part of what we do in this show. And, and what's great to highlight is the, the, you know, as you described it, I, I kind of was getting the sense that it's, it was idyllic in, in a lot of ways, you know, to have, um, you know, this love and acceptance and support and, and not n- need, you know, there was, there was plenty, everything was, you know, it felt at least like you had enough and, and there was no want for more. I mean, that's really, really wonderful to hear. It's not um, as common, you know, uh, of a story. And a lot of times, you know, we get into trauma and we get into abuse and things that, you know, people really struggle with, uh, you know, there's, I think something really important to, to highlight when you hear, you know, something that's, that's, you know, uh, what we all strive for, right. And as you get into this next 20, I mean, that's what you want to give your children. You want to give them those feelings, the feelings of love and support and enoughness and freedom and, you know, um, what a great thing that that was the experience you had. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. You know, we were lucky enough that mom, you know, didn't have to work until she really wanted to. So, you know, the three of us grew up with a, you know, stay at home mom that was, you know, always there and making sure we we're not idiots or anything. So, um, yeah. yeah, it really was, you know, I, I think I, I learned a lot of confidence through freedom, 
And, you know, that freedom, I think, has, you know, created a person that is here 40 years later. Yeah. And so, all right, you, you then come to Columbus, you decide, you know, there's more outside of Akron that you want to go explore. Uh, you landed Ohio State, you know, tell me, tell me about what happens from there. You mentioned you went into the nightclub scene, you know, how did, how did all of that start to unfold? Yeah. So I, I was a lot like a lot of people around our age and it's still happening that you didn't really have many options after high school other than college. You know, there wasn't, you know, many options that we were told about anyway. It was you graduate school and you go to college and that was the only option. And it wasn't, you know, it, it, like I said, it was the only option for us. You know, you went to college. So I started off at, at Akron and I was there for just a, you know, a quarter or a semester, whatever they were on at the time. And, uh, you know, all my buddies were coming down here to, to Ohio State. I, I visited them. I was like an unofficial member of Stradley Hall for, <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't live there, but I was there enough that, you know, all the RAs knew me and all the people on the floor knew me. So I was kind of like the unofficial member of the seventh floor or whatever. But I, I, I quickly learned that I wasn't really cut out for college. You know, I think credit wise at this point, if that, if they still are even, you know, exists somewhere, uh, I, I might be a sophomore, you know, credit wise at Ohio state, but I can remember the, the moment that I realized that for me, college was just bullshit. And I was in this, I was in this lecture and it was some math lecture. I forget what level of math. And it was, uh, the the instructor there, he was, I forget where he was from, great guy, but he spoke exceptionally broken English. And I remember being in this giant hall with two or 300 other people in it. And, and I'm going around like, I'm paying for this out of pocket, by the way, mm-hmm. um, at Ohio State. And I'm thinking like, I'm having a really hard time understanding this guy. It's making it really hard to, to learn. Why am I even doing this? <laughs> you know, and I remember, and I think that was the moment that I was like, I'm going to try something else. Like, I, I don't know if this college thing's for me. I'm going to do, I'm going to try something else. And that's the, the moment I can look back on and be like, that was when college was done for me. That's when I realized that there, there's got to be something else out there. There's got to be another way. To- well, I'm curious about, you know, that because I agree with you, you know, we grew up where college was like a necessity, you know, that, you know, graduating from high school was like expected and going to college then was what you did next. And very few people didn't do that in the world that I you know, grew up in. For my high school, almost everybody went to college. Exactly. And it was expected you know, from your parents and really kind of woven into the fabric of society. Still sure. is, right? Yeah, still maybe, is. maybe there's a little more opening for other things today that you know, didn't used to be as honored. You know, well, you could start a business or you could drop out of college and start a business, right? We've all seen the success stories that, you know, validate that path now, which makes it maybe a little bit easier, but mostly not. So what was it in you? I mean, look, I had the same thought in in college. I pretty much, you know, coasted through. I very rarely found a subject that was of interest to me. And when I did, they weren't things that were like acceptable to actually go study, you know, in, in my mind, right. And yeah. for whatever reasons, right. My upbringing, you know, psychology even was like, well, well that's really interesting, but you know, you don't, you're not going to go be a psychologist. Right. Yeah. And so 
why was it that you actually had the courage, is what the way it looks to me, to to act on that understanding, the experience you were having that was like, this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, I think it goes back to the, you know, what I said is I I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just know I didn't want to do that. And that thing being college. And and I thought at the time, maybe I'm just not ready for it. You know, maybe there's something that I got to get out of my system. But uh, I knew it wasn't spending a lot of money. And the one thing I, I will um, say that I'm really happy that I did, I did get out of college before I, you know, accrued some giant massive student debt. So I do consider that one of those, you know, lucky things that I got out before that. Um, Cause I think that, you know, I've seen that happen. So many people that come out of, you know, college or anything, you know, higher learning and just have this mountain of debt that they're just saddled with. So, you know, I'm really glad I got out of that, but you know, I, I guess what it came down to is, I just wanted to go try other things. And I had the confidence enough to know that, you know, no matter what I tried, you know, I wasn't going to end up in a ditch somewhere. You know, I had a good support system. I had a lot of friends down here. Worst case scenario, I'll move back home. So, you know, having that safety net that, you know, I didn't have to worry about landing no matter how hard it, it made it easy to go explore a little bit. And the first thing I did is I think I got a job running name that tune. It was a bar game show <laughs> at a bunch of BW3s around here. And so that was that was, you know, a blast for me, man. I did that. I did that for years in my early 20s. Waited tables down at Max and Irma's at City Center and still have met some of the best people, even one of my business partners today in Late Night Slice and Oddfellows, Jason, I met at Max and Irma's down at City Center and that was, you know, one of those like late teens, early 20s jobs that you know, it really, I think everybody, everybody has one of those early jobs that kind of define you as a person, you know, that, you know, you just had a blast doing it, made the summer, it made that year, it made, you know, you made a ton of friends doing it. So, you know, again, widening that support system, widening that safety net, you know, it, it made it easy to have an idea and then go say, all right, I want to try this. And mm-hmm. Going into the nightclubs was was another thing that was, you know, I was like, I don't know, I want to go work in a nightclub. That seems like it's a fun place, you know, might be a fun place to work. So I remember walking into one of these clubs and just being like, hey, are you looking for a DJ? And they're like, As a matter of fact, we are. <laughs> go talk to that guy. And uh, that started kind of like my career of working in nightclubs. And I spent, like I said, the better part of my 20s in clubs all around Columbus here. And uh, I took that job out to... Las Vegas, Florida, New York, Dallas, Myrtle Beach. I mean, I was I was all over, um, uh, just working working the clubs in my early twenties. And I mean, what an awesome way to spend your twenties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it totally. I mean, it, it's it, it's a great fun, right? I mean, that's like yeah. it's a fun way to to work. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yet you're learning a lot too. And and I don't know, kind of if there was any thought towards like your own gig or creating, you know, your own F and B, some sort of, you know, something out of this world, but you're certainly learning a lot through working at Max, Max and Irma's through, you know, nightclubs around the country. You know, was there an idea that you wanted to actually like learn and then do, or were you just, in the like, this is fun. I'm making money, and you know, I'm around 
cool people and I'm just going to do this for now. And you know, yeah. where were you with that kind of experience? I, I, I certainly wasn't like using it as a means to an end by any way. I, it, it, it certainly wasn't like I want to own my own nightclub. It was more of one of these things. And I guess to your, your previous statement, way more of the latter. Like this is a blast right now. I'm young. I'm making, you know, I'm making money. I'm traveling all around the country. Like, let's keep this going. Let's lean into this while I got a little bit of, you know, I, I guess I've always had this idea that I think, you know, retirement is kind of, you know, the idea of retirement that, you know, you work until you're 65 and, you know, then hope to retire. And, you know, then you start living your life. I always thought that was kind of bullshit. So I've always looked at things like, well, why don't I borrow a little bit of from that now? You know, why don't we design our, you know, design my life a little bit so, you know, you, you can have fun now while we're, you know, making a little bit of money. I don't have a lot of responsibility right now. Of course I didn't have, I think I had a girlfriend, you know, and a, and a car. <laughs> that was, that was about it through my, you know, through my mid twenties. So it, it was, it was, it was a really exciting time to just kind of explore and figure out what that is. And I remember being at living in Myrtle beach. I got a job waiting tables at the Dick's last resort at barefoot landing. And, uh, Man, that was a, if you ever have to wait tables, and I always said, if they ever build a Dick's Last Resort in Columbus, I was going to get a job there waiting tables. Now they did open the Dick's in Columbus a couple of years back. And I seriously thought about actually getting a job there, just waiting tables because it was such a blast. It was such a fun job. But my partner was like, I don't think that's going to look great for the business if the CEO is waiting tables. And I said, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was at Easton, if I remember correctly, like on the outskirts of Easton. So it wasn't exactly like, you know, being on the beach or something, you know, really. It was, right, it was actually downtown at uh, the old Frog Bear. Oh, is that uh, where it was? Right attached to, around top of Buca de Beppo, actually. Okay, yeah. all right. That might have been better. I was thinking there was one maybe out by Easton. So, yeah. um, okay, so so you're just enjoying life. You, you're, you are learning, but you're not maybe realizing that this is going to serve you as you go do your next thing. So when does the idea start to come in for late night or what's the, what's the first idea and and when, and how does that start to come in? Yep. So the first idea that I would say that set me onto my path of, I hate using the word entrepreneur, but my first entrepreneurial endeavor um, when I was living out in Vegas, uh, I had, I, Considered that I went out to Vegas with a uh, a girlfriend at the time. We were going to work, DJ, you know, do stuff out there. We were planning to go for three months. Ended up staying a year and four months, and I call that my vacation. <laughs> and uh, my life was a vacation at that point, but this was kind of a vacation from the vacation. And we were in uh, San Diego at the time, and in San Diego they had these pedicabs in the gas lamp district. And I knew I was coming back to Columbus. And I didn't know what I was going to do once I got back here, but Columbus always brought me back no matter where I was. I always kept an apartment here. I always, you know, Columbus was always home base. I never, wherever I was at, it was never a serious consideration to actually plant roots and move there. It was always just exploring. So, you know, going down to San Diego and kind of spending a, a few days down there, I was like, these bike taxis that are all throughout the gas lamp district would do awesome in Columbus. And I knew I was moving back at the time and I got hit with something right before I left Las Vegas. And I got a job offer there at one of the biggest, best nightclubs in the country. And it was kind of a ship position within the nightclub, but I knew that within a month or two or three or four, that that would have turned into one of the you know good positions. And I was probably 26 or 27 
it was already a six figure job, mostly cash, great benefits. And that was, you know, unheard of money. And I remember thinking at that time, unless I move out of here now, you know, unless I leave Las Vegas, um, I'd probably still be there. You know, I know I'm going to be here a lot longer than I want to be. And I, I knew I needed to get, and I wanted to get back to Columbus. I miss my friends and family. And I, honestly, I had done Vegas, you know, Vegas was, I had been out there for a year longer than I had planned. And I had seen everything in there. I you know no rock was left unturned in Vegas. I feel like I did it. So I turned down that job and I, you know, really leaned into these pedicabs and ended up buying five of them with a small loan from mom and dad. And I got the pedicabs and that's when ECT pedicabs started in the summer of spring, rather, of 2008. I think in March is when we got those delivered. And that whole summer and, you know, multiple summers after that, we're riding around in the short north and giving people rides. And that's really where the idea of late night slice came from hauling people around in these giant tricycles and, you know, hearing at the end of the night, you know, where's the pizza by the slice in this city? Um, and after hearing that so many times by all these drunk people that you have in the back of your, your cab that you're giving rides to, you know, I started thinking, all right, well, there isn't pizza by the slice in this area. Why don't we see if we can bring some to it? Yeah. And interesting. Like yeah. It's really interesting because I, I think it's important. You know, you, you mentioned you don't like the word entrepreneur and I'm curious about that, but, but I think, you know, what you just described is a very entrepreneurial journey, right? Like you, you, you had a, an idea, you had seen something, you knew you wanted to come back to Columbus, you knew you wanted to do your own thing. You know, you got a small loan, you know, beg, borrow, steal, however you do it. Right. right. And, and then, you know, and, and this is like kind of built into like the venture capital world now and like fancy language. Right. You know, you got to iterate and pivot and right. Mm-hmm. All the, all the kind of stuff that you hear. And really, like all they're saying is what you just did. You know, like you, you had one thing. And that thing led you to an idea for another thing based on, you know, what would be considered like, you know, I don't know, due diligence or, you know, demographic, you know, research, right? You're like, you're, you're doing those things by actually like moving people on bikes. And then, and then you hear like the, oh, wait. And, and so these people from out of state that they're saying, where's the, where's the pizza in this city? Cause, you know, I guess if you've lived here long enough, like I have, you just I don't know, maybe kind of gave up on good pizza yeah. in the city. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you learn so much by, you know, in the I never considered, you know, ECT pedicab or late night slice in the early days to be transportation or pizza. I considered it late night services because what you're doing is providing a service during a time where not a lot of service was available, you know, getting, you know, people back to their houses or back to that next bar or back to wherever they were going to go, you know, at, at a time where cabs didn't want to take people two or three blocks or four blocks, you know, they want to take people miles outside of town. So there is a hole there that, you know, we call it the last mile and that's become a rather popular term now too, but that last mile you know, there was a hole in there, especially late at night. This is way before Ubers and Lyfts and everything. And then pizza, there was just another hole there. We were just, there was an opportunity to, to feed people. So there was an opportunity to get people where they want to go. And then that opportunity to feed people past 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are just the experiments that 
led to, I, I always tell people, you know, they're interested in starting their own business, their own project, um, their own, their own, their own idea to start fleshing it out. I'm like, start with an experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day when I was a teenager, I wanted to do karaoke. I thought karaoke was like the coolest thing in the world. So I went out and, you know, spent like 2,500 bucks on getting a whole karaoke set up. And I did it one time and I hated it. <laughs> I love singing karaoke. I love being in the presence of like the karaoke thing, but running it was, was, was totally boring to me. Yeah. So that wasn't a bad experiment. It was 2,500 bucks. That's not going to make or break you. Right. Likewise with the pedicabs, the pedicabs, I think I got that started for, you know, 20 grand, I think to buy five of these brand new pedicabs. Again, it's not an insurmountable number, you know, worst case scenario. I didn't like it. I sold the cabs. I was out a couple grand and we move on to the next thing. Pizza. Likewise, you know, pizza was an experiment. I didn't even know how to make pizza. We'd ride the pedicab and you'd have, you know, a thousand dollars saved up after a week or two of riding your pedicab. And I'd go onto these auction sites where they were selling like just dirt cheap restaurant equipment used just awful stuff. And I started buying all the things that I thought I would need to set up a pizza shop. And eventually after riding that pedicab for you know enough weeks in a row and buying a cheap refrigerator, a cheap prep table, a cheap oven, a cheap, you know, set of smallwares at these restaurant auctions, you know, there was enough stuff to start to experiment with making a pizza. And we didn't even make our own pizza at the beginning. <laughs> we bought it from another pizza shop and just heated it up and sold it you know, for like the first couple of weeks until things really started taking off. So, you know, I, I, I've always adopted the, you know, start as an experiment to figure out if this is something you even want to lean into. And then when you start seeing the results, when you start, you know, we started seeing lines at late night slice really early on. We started seeing a lot of people adopting the pedicaps early on. Okay. Let's, let's lean into that then, you know, this is something that's working. Now we're going to spend some money on it. Now we're going to spend some, some calories actually fleshing out this idea now that the base work is done and proven itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great message. Very interesting. And you know, uh, even the part where you're like not even making your own pizza, <laughs> it's like there's so much kind of just like figuring it out, experimenting, trying shit, buying on auction, you know, using someone else's pizza. I mean, this is like... This is also why people don't do it, right? Because it's freaking hard, right? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, none of that was easy. And now you seem to have like a really good attitude about it all. That like even when you say, well, 20 grand, you know, not an insurmountable money. That I mean, it is a lot of money, right? Sure. Now you figured, well, I can sell them, I can lose a couple grand, and you know, it'll all work out. But you know, a lot of that is very daunting to people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a friend, uh, Gino Wickman, who um, is the EOS guy, but he has, a, he has mm-hmm. a, a new project called Leap. And it's all about trying to filter out whether you're meant to be an entrepreneur or not. You know, you, you describe this very kind of naturally, but, but it's only natural to you. Right. Um, to, to a lot of other people, that might be really scary, really daunting, and maybe not for them. Right. So it's, it's, you know, you have to have that kind of innate way, that mindset, which you clearly have. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm curious, like you've got lines now right away, you know, early on. And, and what was it, do you think, if you were to kind of go back, I mean, yeah, there wasn't good pizza in Columbus and, and late night, like, you know, there was a hole as you described it, but it feels like it was more than that to me. I think you guys did more than just 
put good pizza in a hole? Like, why do you think right away people were energized by what you were doing? You know, I think the thing that set Late Night Slice apart is it was really authentic. And I'll bring in two points about that. And, you know, one just calls back to the point we were just making. Um, there wasn't a lot of destination places. There wasn't a lot of people that, there wasn't a lot of places that people could be like, this is indicative of the people in our culture. <laughs> you know, this is us. This is something I'm proud of. This is something unique to my area. This isn't, you know, when I say, you know, $20,000, you know, is a, is a lot of money. Absolutely. But it's not insurmountable. You know, what we didn't do is we didn't go out and spend 400000 on building an experiment not knowing if we were going to like it, if people were going to respond to it, or if our idea was even good enough to spend that type of money on. So, you know, in perspective, you know, that 20000 for me was rather easy compared to opening up an entire restaurant, which sure. I didn't even know how to do at the time, right? Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what set Late Night's Life apart was just the fact that it was just, I mean, man, it was, it, it was authentic because it was hand-built. I mean, and it was absolutely hand-built. I mean, that little shack that we started off in, it was a 140-square-foot shack. And it was seven feet by 20 feet. And it was never, ever meant to be a restaurant. <laughs> like, that thing was never meant to do what it did. And that thing started pushing out hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales within the first couple of years. It was never, ever meant to do that. It was a means to get us to that next step, right? So when I found that space and I talked to my landlord and I was like, hey, I have this idea. I want to try making pizza out of this thing. He was like, knock yourself out, man. How about 200 bucks a month? You know, and you can have this old office shack for this car lot that the, the, the parking lot that's now the Oddfellows patio used to be a used car lot back in the you know, 70s, let's say. Um, when I got in there, I remember taking out you know, car quest stuff and signs and, and just things from when that was a, was a parking lot. But, you know, the first thing I did is I called in the health department and I said, all right, I want to, you know, make food in here. What do I have to do? They said, you have to put in this sink and a mop sink and this other sink and, you know, make it look nice and everything. So I painted that place myself. I did the plumbing myself. I did the electric myself, which I wouldn't recommend because they don't teach you how to do a little bit of electric. <laughs> nobody wants you know well, nobody wants you to know how to do a little bit of electric. <laughs> right. Can't find many videos of them. Um, but you know, we got through all that stuff, you know, and we pretty much just hand built the place. So the place was really, really authentic. It was it was a shack. And because it was just obviously hand built and it wasn't polished by any means, and it was actually it got to the point where it was putting out a good product. And a unique product, like we had 15 flavors of Thago when we first started. We projected movies on the wall. You know, we hung up these patio lights that are everywhere now. But back in the day, you know, stringing up patio lights was kind of novel at the time. So you had this this cool glow on you that you know it just it begged people to at least come check it out. Um, it was it was as much of a of a what do they call it? Like a roadside shack or roadside shanty as you could possibly get that was plucked right down in the middle of the short North, you know, Columbus's, you know, premier district. So you had this little, you know, you had these, these bars all around, you had some nightclubs and everything. And then you just had this, this little piece of 
whatever it was, <laughs> you know, yeah. one pizza and had a good product and it was kind of authentic. And we were, we were just kind of doing our thing and it had these funny signs and everything. And it, I think it really made people in the neighborhood latch onto something because it was unique and it was, it was cultural, you know, yeah. was, and we didn't know it at the time. We just thought, you know, let's project movies on the wall. That'll be right. Cool. Right. So kind of coming back around to uh, this authenticity piece, I, I think there's something really important here. Uh, it, it's, it, I'm hearing like there's a bit of a, well, we, we, you know, don't have the money or right. The team, we're not like going to go out and hire designers, right. And do all this stuff that maybe, you know, you do if you are opening a restaurant, right. You didn't really even have a choice. You were going to need to, you know, kind of make this thing happen on your own with limited funds and, you know, limited resources, and so, you know, it, it kind of uh, has an, a legitimately authentic finished product because it's being done that way. But that ends up being the thing that in part makes it what it is, right? So, I mean, I've, I've lived here. I've experienced all of what you just described. I watched it happen. I was a consumer, right, in this city, you know, and, and seeing something really alive, you know, come to life in a unique way. Being somebody who is also passionate about creating space and the experience that we have in the space and having traveled around and seen cool things all over the place, all over the the world and, and trying to bring that here myself and create spaces, you know, in, in a similar way. And that authenticity, I think, is really important. It, 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 it's it's a funny thing though, like when you kind of like look at it a little bit under the hood that that you know the fact that you don't have the resources ends up being the thing that makes it great, yeah. you know. And so I, I'm wondering, just kind of like what you think about that, like the the importance of of you know creating authentically. You know, I, I'm I'm just a huge believer that authenticity is really critical in every aspect. But I think there's still a little bit of a... uh, And actually, as I'm saying, I'm thinking about kind of the college part of this, right? Like, there's still not a total buy-in on authenticity, you know? But but, but I really believe in your case, in part, at least in part, it's it's directly correlated to the bottom line. Not to mention, not to mention like... Well, the fact that you just get to show up and do you and like have fun and like, like all of that is like way more important than anything, but it does correlate to the bottom line. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, I always tell people in, in a lack of resources or when you have a lack of resources, become resourceful. You know, that's, you know, you can get what you want to do done. You just have to look around for either cheaper or easily accessible ways to do it. Like, I guess to the second point there, you know, it's authenticity is such a hard thing to achieve. And especially when you start replicating, you know, for us, one of the, I'll, I'll use Oddfellows as an example. Um, Oddfellows, the bar in the short North. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently built one down in Cincinnati and, you know, my partners convinced me to do it, but I, I fought back quite a lot saying that Oddfellows was never meant to be recreated. It was, it was built with a set of like ideas and values and a, and a specific outcome to just be one. And I think when people try to, authentic, authenticity is exceptionally translucent. 
you can see through it if it's not done exceptionally well, right? So I wouldn't say authenticity is totally transparent, but if you don't, if you don't execute and there's not a soul behind what you've done, it's easy to see through and it's easy then to become just a part of, you know, the existing landscape where there's not a lot of creativity, where there's not a lot of thought, where there's not a lot of, you know, differentiation between what you're doing and then what everybody else around you is doing, right? So, and I think that's what drives most of what we do in this company is, you know, what can we do to set ourselves out? We, we sell at Late Night Slice and Oddfellows, the world's two favorite things, pizza and booze. You walk out any door you're pretty much ever in, and anybody listening to this, you walk out of whatever door that you are closest to, and you could probably find pizza or booze within a 10-minute walk of wherever you're at. Most of us, probably a lot closer. So it's not about the pizza or booze for us. Anybody can do that. I think, personally, we have great pizza, and I think we have great drinks at our places. You have to have a good product, of course. But it's the things around what we're doing that makes it exceptional, that makes it an experience, that makes it authentic. Um, so that's what really drives us is, you know, what can we do around the world's two favorite things to not only, you know, make ourselves a destination here in Columbus, but beyond, you know, when people come to Columbus and they're here for the first time and they want a taste of the people in their culture, you know, where are they going to go to? You know, they yeah. need to have those destination places that really define a community. Um, and that's what drives us. That's what we try to be. We try to be those places that you have to go to. Like you have to try this place out. Yeah, the pizza is great, but you've got to see this crazy little, you know, tiki speakeasy in the basement, or you have to go to Oddfellas and see all the crazy shit on the walls, or, you know, try out whatever pizza of the week this is. It's, you know, a poutine pizza or something. So, um, well, what, what do you do about the issue with scale? I mean, I agree with you. You know, it, it's funny. Like, I don't know what the first um, uh, Dick's Last Resort was, but like, maybe it was super authentic and then it scaled and it became this kind of like thing that, you know, you can see through, you know, and I don't know if it ever was or not, but, but I'm just wondering, like, so what do you do about that then? Do you keep creating and have everything be unique and authentic? That's, that's, you know, I don't know about your partners, but I know mine are generally frustrated by my interest in doing that. Right. Cause I have the, creative entrepreneurial brain itch, you know, and, and inability to sit still. Right. So I want to create new brands and products and experiences all the time. And, you know, that's, it's, it's hard to do it over and over again. Right. So, um, scaling seems to be easy at a certain point. It's like, well, we could just replicate that. Uh, Right, but you run into the authenticity issue. Can you really replicate it? Does it start to lose things? Does it get diluted? So, what do you do? What are what are you guys doing? So, most importantly, it's should you, you know, that's that's the you know some things aren't meant to be recreated, but there's a certain time and there's a certain drive that we all have that we want to create scale. We have this good idea, but honestly, one of the things that keeps me up, one of my main motivations throughout this entire project is the fear of fading into who gives a fuck. And that's what I consider is when people get to, you know, when you, when you replicate something, 
that was once authentic. You know, if you if something is built to just be stuck in the middle of any plaza in any mall or any downtown and to be replicated, then that's fine. That's great. That's that's incredible. But when you have uh, you know something that took off because of its authenticity, um, replicating that takes an exceptional amount of finesse. And sometimes it's almost impossible. I mean, there's I always look back at you know. I, I, I hesitate to even say it because it's, I'm not getting down on this business. But if you look at the first one they did up in Cleveland, it's exceptionally authentic. You go in there and you're just like, this place is magic. And then they built a lot of them all over Ohio and probably elsewhere. And they just, you, you, each one loses something because you have to use new materials. You know, you can't just keep creating, finding all the old stuff or all the unique stuff that made that first location authentic. So, you know, what we do is we try every day to make not only the product as in our physical product, something that is unique. We try to make our spaces exceptionally unique. And when we do New ones, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. We just opened at the Hollywood Casino yesterday, so that was our that was our first uh, licensed uh, location that we've ever done. So what we did is we took the best things of all of our builds that we've done previous, and we put those all into one package. And you try to just not make it look as polished as it probably could look. <laughs> you know, you had to make it look a little bit worn in because, again, if it's too polished, if it's too shiny. People see through that. And then the first thing they say is, oh, I remember the first one. You know, oh, I remember when it was good. I remember when mm. the product was better. I remember when this was cool. You know, how involved are you in that process of making sure that it's exactly what you want it to be? Uh, exceptionally involved. You yeah. know, I mean, that's, that's the one thing I, you know, do. And that's the one thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is, is being the person that drives the experience, whether it's the customer interaction, the, you know, the experience you get when you walk up to the door, once you walk through the door, and once you take your stuff and you leave, you know, that that's what keeps me up at, at night is to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that's a unique experience. Because again, my biggest fear is fading into who gives a fuck. Yeah. And, Tell me, so on, on the business front, I, I want to move into kind of this last 20 or next 20, uh, this third segment of your life as you described it. But But before we do that, Tell me from a business standpoint, you know, kind of where are you guys? Where are you going? What's the horizon look like for you? You know, certainly coming out of COVID, I mean, it's a crazy year. You know, where where are you guys at and where are you going? Well, we've had better years. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like many. Yeah. Uh, you know, COVID's been a really unique experience for us. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say that everything COVID has been bad because we are such a better company than we were a year and three months ago. Hands down, better company. We're better on almost every level. We're leaner, we're meaner, we have more money in the bank, we are more defined, we're more driven, we're better set up for what we actually want to do, which I'll get into here in a second. So, you know, COVID for us was something that made us sit down, inspect every part of the business look at what was wasteful, look at what was inefficient, look at what was just bloated and, and do something about it. You know, we, 
we were, we were just like any other restaurant, you know, we had the luxury of being in pizza, which was a very acceptable and, you know, easy to order food during the pandemic, but we we're mostly dining. You know, we weren't like a traditional pizza shop where 90% of those sales are walking out the door anyway. Um, you know, we weren't as delivery heavy as most pizza shops are. We were way more of a traditional restaurant in that, in that aspect. So we got hit way more like a traditional restaurant. Um, but the company we are now, um, and the things we've had to go through, the challenges have made us just so much better and more able to, I think, get through, not only get through, but, you know, look to the future where, you know, growth for us wasn't even an option, you know, four or five months ago, you know, at least traditional growth. When you think of building a restaurant, you either take over an old space or you build a new space and you put, you know, 500,000 or 750 or twice that, no matter what, um, into a space that wasn't an option for us. So, you know, when an opportunity like the casino came around, that was, I thought very on brand for late night slice, you know, drinking, gambling, that's just seemed to really play well for us. Um, you know, and it was a licensing deal where, you know, we have a licensing fee and then a percentage of sales. But other than that, they're just renting the brand from us. It was, it was kind of a no brainer, you know, there just wasn't a lot of downside to it. So, you know, again, it made us a better company through exploring growth, but growth unlike we had been used to. You know, this forced us to look at other things when maybe a year ago or, you know, let's say pre-COVID, we, will, we would have looked at an opportunity like that and been like, hey, we're not interested. We have this path that we're going down. You know, now we, we were really able to, you know, look at something like this and see the value in it. And it can potentially become a whole another arm of the company. Um, mm-hmm. Airports, travel centers, you know, other casinos, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so is that part of the plan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, once you once you've gone through the work to create this playbook, you know, of of you know doing a licensed location, um, you know that the tendency for us is to let's see how many places we can now use that. I mean, we have we have an entire playbook now that we've built, you know, to do a licensed or more licensed location. So. Yeah, it was great. It was it was fantastic. And yeah, if we have these opportunities that come around in the future, then we'll absolutely not only, you know, want to do them, but we'll be ready for them. Yeah, that's great. And tell me a little bit about kind of as we start to wrap up, you're a new father. Uh, yeah. and you know, I know just, you know, through mutual friends that, you know, you 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 think about yourself, your life, your family. I mean, you've talked about it today. You work on yourself. You know, tell me a little bit about kind of how you see this next third, this next twenty years. You know, you you, you mentioned you want to you want to really be a good father. You know, tell me a little bit more about kind of you and where you're headed personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this I think this next phase, this next quarter, I'll call it the, the third quarter, the forty to sixty. And I'm, I'm only 40, so it's, it's just starting. Um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the one thing that I, I will say is that, you know, when you add the stress bomb of child to your situation, you know, I, I think it, you do very well for yourself if you're in a very stable situation. And that's one thing that my wife, Rachel, and I have, I think, done really good at. You know, we were together for eight years, married four you know, when we decided to have a kid. So, you know, we dated for four years, traveled, had a blast, you know, I mean, just, you know, enjoy ourselves. Then we got married. We were married for four years. 
So, you know, we had a solid eight years of foundation to then add the child bomb to, you know, so I think that really helped us out. We were super stable. We were, we were ready for it. You know, I, I do regret having a kid a little bit later in life because I think you're at that point, you know, you're, you're taking a little bit away from, you know, your parents who wanted, you know, want to enjoy their grandchildren. Um, but on another part, you can't really look at your life that way, you know? So, you know, starting a little bit later, I think was, you know, I'll, I'll, I don't think at this point I'll look back and think that that was a bad thing at all. But uh, yeah, so my boy, William, uh, William the fourth. So I'm, I'm a William. I'm the third. Uh, it was pretty easy when we found out we were having a boy to just name him William Michael the fourth. Just because there's not a lot of fourths around. So we figured that was kind of a unique opportunity. Plus, we didn't really hate the name Will or William. Um, so he's 20 months now. Uh, turns two in September. And then come December, uh, we will be having our second one because uh, Rachel is expecting, or we are expecting, I guess. So two and done, man. And uh, <laughs> you're going to move on from there. That is, that is, that is all we're doing. Yeah, appointment set, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have no doubt you're going to do that. Like you've done everything else you've done, especially knowing the role models that you have and your parents. And you know, I do think there's something really to be said for having kids at a point when you're stable. Sometimes that requires time, right? So you know, nothing's wrong ever. Right? In my worldview, you know, it all kind of happens. In perfect timing and a you know, and a divine perfection. So I, I have no doubt that you will excel there as you have. And I love to hear the COVID stuff too. I mean, I know that's been really hard, but to be able to come to this point in the COVID journey and say everything you've said, including you know this idea of the licensing, um, not the idea. I mean, you're doing it, but that feels very much to me just when I hear you know you say that you're doing that, that feels very much to me like the pedicab to late night kind of thing, you know, where it's like, oh, wait, (laughs) we don't have to have all of this capital and take all of this risk and like do everything every time, you know, we could actually leverage what we do. And what, what I think is so brilliant about the licensing is the authenticity which you are going to make sure is is a non-negotiable is really desperately needed in the places that you would license. So yeah. like airports are generally pretty stale, right? You know, casinos same thing like, you know, maybe in Vegas they get creative, but you know, general food options at a Hollywood casino don't have your vibe. But yeah. but people want that. And so you still have this wide open free zone frontier of authenticity in places that it's wanted and doesn't exist, you know, it seems pretty brilliant to me that that would be a, a, a great outcome of the COVID learning for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, you, you, you nailed it. It really is. It's, uh, it's growth, but it's growth unlike we're used to. And that doesn't mean bad. It just means it's, it forced us to look at, you know, a different way to continue to grow because, you know, that was one thing during COVID that was kind of our mantra to get through this was, you know, how are we going to grow out of this? And, you know, that was one thing that kept us motivated was how are we going to grow out of this? And, you know, a year and some months into it, you know, we ended up, you know, with some growth out of it. 
Yeah, good. Well, hey, congratulations on everything. Thanks for taking the time to join me here today and and to share your story on the podcast. And you know, look, as a as a fan of this city and a fan of uh, people, you know, in the entrepreneurial world and a fan of authenticity and and a fan of late night slice you know i just want to you know kind of acknowledge you and thank you you know i i am a huge believer that having really good pizza late night in a experience that's like you know in the instagram culture like a, a moment right that people are going to capture they're not only going to capture it for themselves they're going to share it i am a huge huge believer that this is like economic development at its finest. Sure. And, and that might sound kind of odd to people that are doing economic development, right? Traditionally. But when you come to the city, when you bring your friend from the airport and you want to take them to a few places, you're taking them to late night slice. And to me, that's the impression they're going to be left with about our city. And when they tell a friend or when they think about moving or starting a business, it's having pieces like you've created that really do make a difference um, for a city. And I think you've done that for Columbus. So, you know, kudos to you and thank you. Hey, man. And uh, I want to bounce that right back at you. So I know this conversation has been a little one-sided, but man, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing too. I mean, you are taking, you know, the industry that you're in and making it a real experience as well. And so I've been a fan for a while too. So I just, I had to bounce that one right back at you, man. Kudos to you too, because you're, uh, you're changing shit around here too. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks again for taking the time. It's good to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.